but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. The earth. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series, Witnesses, a study on the book of Acts. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Father, I thank you for the truth that you are our tower, our strong tower, the righteous run to you and are saved, that you are our rock and our redeemer, that we have been made alive as we sung in Christ. And that's why we're here this morning, and that's why we celebrate, and that's why we do baptism. And so I just ask that any other distractions would be put away and that Jesus Christ, our Savior, our King, would be exalted in what we do this morning in this room and what the children do in in the room everywhere in this building that the name of Christ would be exalted and, and that he would receive glory and power because it's about what he has done. I ask for your help. Even though it's a simple truth and a simple message, Lord, I still am in desperate need of your spirit to fill me as a sinful man, as a broken man. And so please fill me. I pray that your people would be filled, that your spirit would rest on us and open our eyes and give us only a joy that you can give us. Give us only a understanding that you can give us, Holy Spirit. And move through your people so that the name of Christ is exalted. And Lord, I trust that you're going to do this because that's what you're about. You are about exalting your son. And so uh, let us do so with, with great fervor and joy this morning for his name's sake. Amen. Thanks. You guys have a seat. Going to take a little bit of a, a break from the book of Acts this week, uh, although it's very related. We will be back next week and we're covering five, count them, cinco chapters. So that means read ahead. 21 to 26 is all one big story about Paul going from trial to trial to trial, uh, three trials. And so read ahead, and we're going to kind of big picture that next week, only a few more weeks in Acts. And then we're at Easter, and then hopefully a new building, and so we got lots going on. Uh, but today we're going to talk a little bit about what we're celebrating, because the big question is why. I mean, why do we make such a big deal Why do we celebrate? What I don't want, and this is what happens in the church all the time, we go through the motions and we do things, but we have no clue. Why do you do that? Well, I don't know. That's just what we do at CBC, because, right? It's kind of like, I don't want us at the end of the day to be like Daniel's son with Mr. Miyagi, all right? He's painting the fence, he's painting the house, he's sanding the floor, he's waxing the cars, and he's got no clue why. He thinks he's just being a servant, and then he finally understands at the end, oh, I'm learning defensive techniques, right? But I want you to know before we get to the baptism, what is it we're celebrating? Because God has given us the gift of baptism in the Lord's table so that we would know something, so that we would understand it's meant to benefit and strengthen and encourage the church. And so there's significance there. All right, so we're going to talk about it. And really, if you've been in the church your whole life, you don't realize this. Most folks that are maybe visiting or outsiders or new to the faith, for them, baptism, let's be honest, is really weird. I mean, we're going to take a bunch of people. Throw them in a tank of water, dunk them down, and yell. That's called a carnival everywhere else. All right? I had a funnel cake, and you're gold, right? I got your, it's CBC carnival. I mean, this, if your son is doing this to your, his younger brother, you're yelling, stop, will you stop dunking, Johnny? Here, we're like, yeah, hold him down, baby. Hold him down. You know, make sure that sin's all gone. Okay? So what is it? 
we celebrate. Why do we do what we do? That's what we're going to talk about today. All right? And, we're just gonna, and here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Whatever you're from, background, whatever, just put your, your church traditions and your backgrounds aside because not, there's nothing wrong with them. But ultimately, here's the deal. All tradition has to be filtered through Scripture. This is why there was a Reformation, right? Scripture alone, sola scripture, this is the final source of authority, not tradition, not what man says, what God has said. And so we're going to filter all those things out, and just, we're just going to look at the Bible and see what the Bible says, because that's what we're at CBC trying to do, is just get back to what the text says, all right? Because obedience is never meant to be confusing. If it's like it takes five theological degrees to understand what God has called you to do, then he probably hadn't called you to do it. He's very straightforward. Usually the simplest answer is the right one. Okay, so let's look at the text. Here's what CBC's doctrinal statement says about water baptism and the Lord's table. Okay, water baptism and the Lord's Supper are the two ordinances Christ gave to his church to be publicly observed after his death and resurrection. Baptism is a one-time act of obedience and is an outward testimony of a person's belief in Christ. Baptism is a symbol of unity, not division, okay? Unity among believers and signifies a spiritual identification with Jesus and his death and resurrection. Only those persons who profess a personal faith in Jesus Christ may be baptized, and immersion is the ideal means set forth in Scripture and is a model we practice. Before Jesus goes back to heaven, he has all his disciples there, and he gives them the Great Commission, right? We're familiar with it, most of us. He says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. And that word, therefore, it's related to the fact that all authority is his. Because I am in charge, because God has given me, his son, all authority, he says, here's my issue to you. Go, therefore, and what? Make disciples. And in the, in the Greek text, there's one imperative, one command. The command is to make the disciples. Now, all the other words, the go, the teaching, the baptize, those are all what we call participles. They modify the imperative. They're telling you how we make disciples. So the command is make disciples how? We go, we baptize, and we teach. But what we see from the very beginning is that, that Jesus makes baptism a part of the disciple-making process. And so we got to ask, why does he do that? Why does he do that? Because we know that baptism does not save. There's nothing magical about the water. It's savanna water, high in mercury and lead. There it is. It's in the tank, okay? It's, there's nothing magical there. No one's sins are going to get washed away in the water today. Salvation is a gift. It is by grace. It is through faith. It is not a result of works like baptism or anything else, lest we say, I, I got to heaven on my own. I got baptized. Paul in Romans 1 says that I am not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, not who believes and is baptized. He even goes as far in 1 Corinthians 1 to say that God did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. So baptism is not a part of the salvific process. It doesn't save, right? And if someone tells you, by the way, that it is, they're wrong. There's whole books of the New Testament that, that say, that argue that the gospel is, is it, book of Galatians. And we've looked at it in the book of Acts where all these, these Judaizers are trying to add, believe in Jesus and do something. Believe in Jesus and get circumcised and keep the law. And Paul says, no, it's, it's faith in Christ that saves. All right? And so baptism doesn't save. So why then does Jesus say to do it? Right? What does he give us, the Lord's Supper? Why does he give us baptism? Because they are symbols. They are symbols of an invisible grace. They are a tangible symbol of an invisible grace of what God has done. And they point to something else. They point to a reality. So it's like every symbol is not the reality, but it points to it, right? So some of you, you got a, a big frame on the wall, and it says, you went to college. 
you passed. Hallelujah. Right? Some of you got a little medal from your third grade field day, third place in the softball throw out of three people. That medal, you still got it? You're proud of it? All right? That is a symbol that you got last place. Okay? It's, it's a representative. Some of you in a couple weeks, you're going to go like this. Oh, that means you're a loser. It's a symbol of being a loser. Okay? But these are symbols that point to a reality. I am wearing a symbol on my finger. This, this ring is not my marriage. Right? I take it on. I, I put it on. I take it off. I'm still married. I put it on anybody else. It doesn't mean they're married to my wife. This is a symbol of a reality. That I am Sarah's and she is mine. Baptism, the Lord's table, is a symbol of a reality. And it's meant to remind you to point to something. When you see these folks go down in the water and they come out of the water, it, it says as God is screaming to us, he wants us to remember something. He's giving us a visual reminder. And isn't he gracious to do it? Because some of us are visual learners. Some of you are asleep seven minutes into the sermon. Don't think I don't see you. Okay? You can hide in the back. I can see you around the corner. Balcony, you guys are a little bit more hiding, but pretty soon, no more. Right? But you're visual, and so you need tangible reminders. And so we pass out the Lord's Supper in a few minutes, and you're going to hold a piece of bread, and you're going to drink a juice, and it's going to pop in your mouth, and you're going to feel it, and it's supposed to remind you and point to something. You're going to see people go down into the water, hair get wet, everyone clapping and screaming. It's a reminder. So what are we supposed to remember? What does baptism scream? What does Jesus want to encourage us with this morning? There's three things that baptism is meant to remind us, okay? Three things. And I want you to ask, when you, when you're, why are you painting the fence? Why are you waxing the floor? I want you to know. All right, here's the first one. Here's what we remember in baptism. Number one, that you, if you have put your faith in Christ, have been cleansed from all your sin. From everything you've ever done, from everything you've done today, everything you will ever do in this life, if you are in Christ it is cleansed. It has been washed away, even though you haven't done it already. You say, how can that be? Well, when Jesus died, all of your sin was future for him. He still paid for it all. If you are in Christ, you've been completely cleansed. Everything, right? The, the whole works. doesn't mean you go free to sin. In fact, Paul says that it, it actually motivates you to not. But how, how encouraging is that for someone who came in this morning and you had a bad week? Some of you... You haven't prayed this week. You haven't even thought of God this week. You got in fights with your spouse, you, got, you and your parents, you, whatever. The last thing on your mind was Jesus this week, but yet he still loves you and your sin has been erased. You stand clean. Why? Because of what Jesus has done. Baptism is all about Jesus. It pictures him. Here's what Paul says to the Corinthians when he talks about just the gospel. He says, don't you know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers, none of them will inherit the kingdom of God. And notice this line, and such were some of you, Corinthians, and I would say, and such were some of us, CBC, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus. Notice that it's past tense. This happened. You were sanctified. You were justified. You were washed. And it's in the passive voice, which means you didn't wash yourself. You didn't justify yourself. You didn't sanctify yourself. It's what Christ has done for you. He has done it all. Right? That is what baptism is about. What he has done for us. Milton, the dog. I haven't brought Milton up in a while. 
So one of Milton's favorite pastimes is sneaking and licking the dishes in the dishwasher. Now, Milton, the dog, knows that this is a sinful thing. He's been taught, but he, we, he does it anyway. And so we're sitting at the table a few weeks ago and just having a nice supper, and all of a sudden we hear, crash! And apparently there, he got himself way far back in that bad boy, and his collar got stuck to the bottom rack that was full of dishes. And when he pulled away, the entire thing just and shattered glass, and, and he couldn't get it off. And I had, I had to literally, as his God figure, <laughs> come and free him from his sin and then clean up his mess and then beat him senseless. <laughs> All right, but here, here, that in essence, lay the beating aside, is what God has done. We, are, we were hooked and we had made a mess. And God has come and he has freed us and he has cleaned up our mess. And what baptism pictures is that you are clean, Christian. And there is no fear, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So if you get nothing else, remember that this morning. But there's more, all right? We also remember that we have been united with Christ. And this is what baptism pictures, Romans 6 Verse 3 through 5 says this. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Now, he's talking about spirit baptism here, which water baptism represents spirit baptism. But he says, we've been, we've been baptized, immersed into Christ. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him, and the inference is we have, in his death, like in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. The idea is when you go down into the water, it pictures Jesus going down in the grave. When you come out, it pictures his resurrection. And you have symbolically identified what happened spiritually, that you are one. When you put your faith in Christ, you became one. Everything that is his is yours. On August 1st, 1998, I became one with my bride. Everything I had, which was not much, but everything I had became hers. Everything that was hers became mine because we were one. When you put your faith in Christ, everything, the riches of heaven, being an heir to the kingdom, his righteousness became yours. And what, church, can separate us from the love of Christ? Nothing. You have been united with him. The old man, the sinful man, the Adamic nature that you got from our grandfather Adam, that went down into the grave, picturing it dead, and now the new you comes up. It pictures the newness. You have been one with him. And just like he came out of the grave, you're going to go into the grave one day, but you will come out of the grave one day. Why? Because you've been united with Christ, and everything that is his, it is yours. And it is a celebration that you are one with Jesus, and nothing can separate you, and not even sin can separate you. And down in verse 14 of chapter 6, he says, and sin doesn't have any dominion over you anymore. If you're a slave to sin, it's because you're choosing to be, not because God hasn't freed you. You are free. You're free from the slavery of sin. You're free from the old man. That is what we celebrate. That's why we cheer, because it's victory, right? That you have been cleansed, that you have been united. And there's one more thing, that we have newness. 
There's newness. Again, verse 4, we were buried with him, therefore, by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness. We are not a bunch of people who have new rules and a new schedule on Sunday and new moral principles. That's not Christianity. It's that you have been made new. If any man is in Christ, he is what? New creature. Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ. It is not I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. There's newness, right? He has made you new. His spirit has you been born again, is the language Jesus uses, right? And, and it's as if, and to use an old illustration that we, we bring back every once in a while, you were a broken down, virus getting, illegal operation performing PC. You were a broken down HP Dell, and you don't need to be a new Dell. What you need to be is a new operating system. You need to be a Mac. All right? That works, that's pretty, that's beautiful, that functions normally. And so God makes you the broken down PC Dell into a Mac. A new way of doing things. That's what happens in essence. You are a new deal. The old has passed away. Behold, new has come. And so when these people go down, they are, they are publicly declaring, I am new in Christ. I am in Christ. And everything that is his is mine. We've been cleansed. We walk in newness and we are united. That's what we celebrate in baptism. And here's why as a church it's important. Just a couple quick things. Number one, it's important because Jesus commanded it. And anything that our Savior and our King tells us to do, we do. Joyfully, because it's never meant to be a burden. And so we want to have hearts like the Ethiopian eunuch, who after Philip shares with him, he says, what prevents me from being baptized? Nothing. Get in the water, brother. That's the heart of the believer. There's a desire to obey our king. And it's joyful. Because anytime you're doing what he, what he tells you to do, it's better for you. So it's commanded. Second reason it's important is because it evidences the person who's been born again. In fact, the early church, this was the entry point into the church was, was baptism. And even today, at great cost, our brothers and sisters will be baptized, risking their lives. Why? Because they have broken with their family, their tradition, or with Islam or whatever, and they risk their lives. But it's, it's, it's a statement I am identifying publicly that I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then the last reason is we're just following the example of Christ, who himself was baptized for a different reason, but the entrance into his ministry... And I, and I know that it's a humbling thing. I, I understand completely. We, we are all aware. It's a humbling thing to get up there and stand in front of everybody and go down and make up ladies, gets all, you know, hair's all messed up and the guys don't care. But they go. It's, it's a humbling thing. But it's no more humbling than for the king of kings to get baptized by his bug-eaten, leather-wearing cousin, John the Baptist. And we're just following the example of humility that Jesus has laid out for us. So it's important for those reasons, even though it doesn't save. Here's the, here's the big question, okay, for us. And this is where the church, unfortunately, divides. Who, gets, who should get baptized, right? Who do we baptize? Because this is where it all rubber meets the road, right? And, and in, the, in the church, you have two major camps. And we're not going to do a theological treaty, but I want you to understand at least why we do things and why other people do things too. There's two camps. There's what's called... Pado baptists which Pado is the Latin word for infant, so it's just infant Baptists. 
I would guess that 50% or more of our folks have been baptized as infants, and that's probably conservative, all right? And then there's what's called believer's baptism or confessional baptism for those who have put their faith in Christ and those who confess him as Lord. Those are the two camps. We at CBC practice what we call confessions or believer's baptism, all right? And there's two reasons why. Number one, because of what we've already talked about, it symbolizes. If it symbolizes cleansing from sin, union with Christ, and newness of life, who has that? A believer. Okay, a believer. A, a, a one-year-old, a two-year-old, they don't have that. They don't understand because they're two, and so they don't have that. So it's not a symbol that, that means something for them. Okay? And the second reason we do believers is really it's the model that we've seen Time and time again in the book of Acts. Again, here is our tradition. Here is our final authority. And, and what have we seen in the book of Acts every time? Acts 2, those who received his word were baptized. Belief before baptism. Acts 8, when they believed Philip, they were baptized. Acts 9, immediately scales from, from Paul's eyes and he regained his sight and he's baptized. Why? Because he's just believed. Acts 10, can anyone withhold baptizing these people who have received just as we have? They believe, they receive the Holy Spirit, and then they get baptized. Acts 16, Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a soul of purple, who was worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said. She believes, and after she was baptized. Acts 16, this is the Philippian jailer. After he said, what must I do to be saved? And, and, Peter, and Paul says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you're saved. They take him and they baptize him at once. Acts 19, these are fellows that have already been baptized by John the Baptist. And Paul says, no, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling people to believe in the one who is to come. On hearing this, they were rebaptized this time in the name of Jesus. And so every time what you see in the book of Acts, which is our only really historical narrative book in the New Testament, you see belief and baptism, belief, baptism, belief, baptism. Every time, right? Every time. And there, there's three instances where you see the term household, his whole household. And so the argument sometimes is, well, look, their whole house was baptized, right? In Acts 10, the house of Cornelius but it also says with Cornelius that his whole house feared God. For them to understand and fear God and have a reverence, that means they have to be old enough to understand. In Acts 16, the Philippian jailer, they all were preached to first, and then they were baptized, implying that they heard and understand. And never once does it say baby or kid or anything. It just says household. He could have been 83 with his kids living there or his serfs. We know nothing about who was there. So there's just as likely not a baby as there was a baby. In 1 Corinthians 1, the house of Stephanos was baptized. But then later in 1 Corinthians 16, Paul says, I urge you that you, the household of, that you brothers, you know that the household of Stephanos were the first converts. All his house that were converts, I mean, were, were baptized were converts. So again, you just don't see the infant baptism in the New Testament. All right? You don't see it modeled. And the reason why... Uh, those churches and our brothers, some of them do it, is, is mostly in, in the Roman Catholic denomination, there's people that do it because they believe there's a regenerative nature that actually washes away original sin. In the Protestant wing of infant baptism, typically the Methodist, Presbyterian, uh, Lutheran, there, there's a different reason. They believe that in, in baptizing the baby, it brings it into what they call the covenant community. Like in the Old Testament, on the eighth day, they circumcised the Jew. It brought him into the covenant community. So in the New Testament, we, we baptize the baby. It brings him into the covenant community. Okay, so they're just trying to bring some continuity between the Old Testament and the New Testament, which I appreciate because there's, it's one big story. The story of the old and the new is just the story of Christ who would come and then Christ who did come. But here's my response 
to, to why I still, don't, I don't, still don't baptize babies. Number one, the old covenant to the Israel was a physical covenant and required a physical sign, circumcision. The new covenant is a spiritual covenant and has a spiritual symbol or sign, the Holy Spirit. Baptism is not even the sign of the new covenant. It's the Spirit which circumcises our heart, which changes our heart, right? Every Old Testament Jew was circumcised. Every New Testament believer has been born again by the Spirit. So there is some discontinuity. Secondly, all right, the old was given to those in physical infancy. The new is given to those in spiritual infancy, those who have been born again, whose baby Christians. And then thirdly, the old covenant was a mix between believers and non-believers. There's plenty of Jewish people that weren't believers. Right? So you could have the sign of the, circum- of the covenant and still not be a believer, but you can't in the new. You cannot have the spirit if you're not born again. Right? And so that's why... Uh, we see a discontinuity and we see a difference. There is, a, there is some similarities, but there's some differences too. And so what we have tried to do is model ourselves after what we see and understand the New Testament best. This is not an issue of division. I preached in a Presbyterian church two months ago. One of my best buddies in this town, we agree to disagree. He's much smarter than me. He's just wrong on this issue. It's okay. <laughs> and there's a lot of things I'm wrong on, I can tell you. But the idea is this. If this divides, then you misunderstand the gospel. Because this is not a gospel issue. Right, this is a maybe where I worship issue. This is a difference of, of, of theological uh, understandings, but it's not an issue to ever. So please don't get in fights over it, because that's silly. All right, that is silly. And if you want to fight over whether or not the Braves are any good, that's a great argument. <laughs> but don't fight over baptism, okay? All right? And here's one last thing. How do we do baptism, and why do we do immersion? Three big modes that we see in the church. Mode is not as, as important to us as when, at the time period. But the three modes are sprinkling, pouring, and immersion. Here's why we do immersion. Number one is because the word baptizo literally means to immerse, to submerge. So the entomology of the word implies underwater. Secondly, it, we, we think it best pictures the death, burial, and resurrection. Which, which model? Sprinkling or pouring or immersion pictures the death of Christ and the resurrection? Immersion does. And thirdly, this is the model that you see in the Gospels in the book of Acts every time. So when Jesus is baptized, he went up from the water. He was in the water. All right? And the heavens were open. The Spirit comes. John is baptizing at, at this place at Anon near Salem. Why? Because water is plentiful. There's plenty of water. If you just need a cup, to splash on somebody, it didn't matter where he goes, but he goes where there's a lot of water. Ethiopian eunuch, they go down into the water. This is the model we see. Does it count if I was sprinkled after I was converted? Absolutely. For us, it does. Some churches say no, but we would say, it, if you came forth as a public profession of your faith to appeal to God for a good conscience, as Peter said, then that's for us as you've, you've made your public identification. So that for us, some people would say no, but that's for us. Um, if, if Uncle Bubba did it down by the river, just you and the family, does that count? It counts. Now, we prefer to do it in the context of the local church only because it's a celebration for us. But some of you, you know, your dad baptized you in the river or your grandpa, great, awesome. It, it still counts, okay? It's the appeal to God for a good conscience. It is not a reason to divide. We just like hooping it up on a Sunday. And so we put a bunch of people, 17 this week, up in the, uh, in the baptismal. And so that's what we celebrate. But the big thing is this. Don't leave not understanding why. It's not a carnival, right? We are, we are doing this because we are celebrating that Jesus has made us clean, that he has made us one with himself, and that he has made us new. And that is what we celebrate. So we're going to do it. 
And we're first, we're going to start, we're going to celebrate the table. We're going to do both ordinances today. And if you're a Christian, we invite you to celebrate with us. And, and the men are going to pass out the elements. Just in your seat there, you take when you're ready after the praise team kind of leads for a little bit. And you just kind of, but take that tangible reminder that Jesus has given us. He says, this is my body given for you, broken for you, crushed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This is my blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. And, and as you drink it, as you, as you taste it, remember what he's done. Remember you are clean. Remember you are one with him. Remember there's newness. And then as these guys come, celebrate with them because they are proclaiming to you what is true of you and what is true of them. All right? That they are new. And then we'll sing and we'll worship. So let me pray. Guys, you guys can come forward. And again, you're taking at your own leisure after a specific amount of time, and then we'll sing. Heavenly Father, you're gracious to us and you're good. I pray that your church will be strengthened and encouraged, just being reminded of the simple truth that you love us, that you have purchased us with your blood, that Jesus is alive and that we will live forever because of him. I pray that you would just honor the obedience of those who are coming this service. I pray that their lives would be continually changed and new. I thank you for their obedience. I thank you for their humility. Um, and I, we rejoice with them as a church. Use this to grow us, Lord, closer to you, to a greater appreciation of your greatness and your love for us. It's in Christ's name we pray.